Now, I'll say for me, over the last few years, and, and if, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you might go through these phases too. The last few years for me, what's been really interesting and what really strikes me when I read the Bible right now has been those, what I would call those really grand passages, especially in the New Testament, of these deep and wonderful spiritual mysteries and truths that are kind of some more of the conceptual things that you can sit and debate about for hours and hours and hours. The, you know, the big ideas like, what does it mean to really have a changed heart? What does it mean that we are new creations in Christ? What, is it, what does it look like that the Spirit of God lives inside of us and guides us day to day? There's these big, broad mysteries and wonderful things that, that it's hard for us to have correlation in our world day to day. These are, these are concepts and these are realities that we have to really think on and brew on and pray to God to help us understand. And that's good. Those are good things to be able to dive into those and to be able to, to sim, uh, attempt to seek and understand those deeper truths. But for all of that, there's a simple beauty in having the book of Proverbs, which of course, yes, exists on a foundation of those deep and wonderful spiritual truths, but it's stacked on top of it is the practicality and the sensibility of day-to-day living in this instruction then we could look at and walk through in our daily lives and we can take this into day-to-day application rather than simply having what can sometimes feel like um, larger conceptual truths we need to understand. And so tonight, I wanna take these 12 verses and I really wanna look at them pretty practically as it lists out here Uh, And I want to break it into two parts. I want to kind of put things into two buckets that I want to frame things within. So we're going to look at an idea that we should remember who we represent and that we will trust that his way is good. So that's how I want to break it up in these two parts. Remember who you represent and trust that his way is good. So as we take a look at, at the first chunk here, Remember who you represent. Let's take a look at our first four verses. We're going to look at one through four. It says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Uh, as I've meditated on this passage and really particularly on these four verses, what came to mind over and over and what I couldn't really shake was this, was this idea of doing right by your family name. So you all have heard that in some context one way or another, whether it's just culturally, or whether your family ingrains that in you. And it kind of feels, it feels a little bit like an old school idea. It feels like something that a grandpa would sit down with you and talk to you about giving honor to the family name. Um, and you know, if, but if you're someone that, that values legacy and impact and, and you value a sense of, of how we act, we carry along with us these ideas and these thoughts and these principles that will either bring honor or dishonor to those who came before us, those who have effectively sent us because it's not just the things and the ideas that we carry with us in life, It's the name that we bear. It's who we say we represent as we carry and we put on these principles and this wisdom and these ideas and the way we behave. Now, depending on the family 
that you grew up in and the family that you came from, you, you might be somebody that's been running from that name for a long time. Some of us spend years and years and years running away from the precedent that's set by our family names. And you lose no sleep over how you represent the name that you come from. Uh, and that's fine. Earthly family dynamics come in all shapes and sizes. We've all got a story to tell, and that's a conversation in and of itself. Um, but the beauty here is that in this sense, when we come to these scriptures, we're talking about a family and really a name that's really above every name that we represent. So as we think practically about these verses and this idea, I think the core of that, I think it's present in all of the Proverbs, really. It's this book of wisdom and teachings being passed down, not only to guide us in us living a good and fruitful life, but also to give honor and who it is that has sent us. The New Testament calls us Christians. If you're a believer in this room right now, the New Testament calls us ambassadors of Christ. And you can find that in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. It'll be up here on the screen. It says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, and this is really the crux of it, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so we read this passage today, in these four verses especially, and we see, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands. Don't let them leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on your heart. And the beautiful thing about where we are and where we sit here in 2022 is we have the full revelation of Scripture. We have the entire Bible. We just don't have Proverbs in back that we can use as the means by which we get our instruction and our guide in our daily life when we go out into the spheres of influence that we occupy. And the language here that we see, the language it's using and telling us to, to put these things on and to remember these things, it makes it clear that the ways of the Lord for the believer, they're not merely suggestions. These aren't, this isn't an optional way to live. You don't have many paths and here's one you could have where you put on the teachings of the Lord. No, these are, these are commands. These are rules of the road that are paramount to our journey through life both in how we navigate relationships in society, but how we represent the name of Jesus within those spheres that we end up in. The language here is if we should nearly be wearing these statements of faith and principles on our clothes or have them tattooed on our skin and very present so when we come in contact with others, we're holy and we're righteous and humble ambassadors of Jesus. And by doing so, And by representing the family of God well, by truly embodying what it means to be an ambassador of Christ, we will be seen favorably in the eyes of those who are around us and in the eyes of God the Father. But I want to make it clear, you know, you could read that and go, oh, I get what this is all about. I want to make it clear of where our priorities should be. I don't believe the passage is saying that the goal of all of this is to just look good in front of people. You know, this is where sometimes in our church traditions we can get it a bit twisted that 
Well, if you act really good and look really good in front of people, there you go. There's your end result. You look good in front of people and in front of God. You did it. What a, what a diluted and surface level religion we would have, a very shallow religion, if the end result of our entire faith was that we just looked good in front of people. Well, I, don't, I don't think that's what things are saying at all. We, we understand that we can't control how people perceive us, of course. We can't control if they like us. We surely can't control whether or not they believe the things that we believe. And you know from your own experience, times when you've been pretty great to somebody and they haven't been really great to you back. I mean, my favorite proverb is 15.1, which is a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And you know what, dang it? Most of the time, a harsh word does turn away wrath. But don't do it all the time. Every once in a while, you're gonna get kicked back no matter what happens. So, so we can tell from the Bible too, Jesus tells his closest followers that he said with them and he says, look, I, uh, paraphrasing, I'm not speaking exactly as Jesus did, but he tells them, hey, I'm, families are gonna break apart because of what I'm doing here. What I'm teaching and what I'm doing, families are gonna be split up because some will believe and some won't. And then he tells his followers in another circumstance, like, hey, the world's gonna hate you because of me, but don't worry, they hated me first. So, so we understand that the Bible isn't painting some picture that there's an equation that exists where if you do X, Y, and Z, the end result is everyone loves you and loves being in your company. And that's not the point. The point of putting on these commands of living a life worthy and holy and pleasing to God is because it's good. It's good to do this. The ways of wisdom that the Lord teaches us are good gifts from him. And we honor him when we, just like this passage says, wear them around our necks and we wear them on our heart. Because now when we're believers, we are his sons and we are his daughters and we're ambassadors of Christ and we walk out in this world behaving and interacting in the way we do it so it glorifies his name and it represents well the one that we claim to represent. So we have four verses that we just look at here that in a nutshell are making sure we understand the extreme importance of carrying the teachings of God, all these teachings of wisdom that we're gonna talk about in the book of Proverbs, that we carry those with us. And it's not just mindless filler of repetition and, and why it gets said so many times. Tie it around your neck, write it on your heart, remember, remember, remember. No, the reason it's so valid that it's said so many times is because we're prone to forget these things, right? I mean, how many times can you think of your own life where we, not in word, but in deed in how we act, forget what he's done for us. We don't think about his promises. We forget and neglect his promises. And we forget how he's instructed us to live in light of all these things that he's promised us and has done for us. I mean, if you look at the Bible, for all the things the Bible is, it's also a big collection of stories where the people of God are continually forgetting his goodness and his truths and constantly falling away and God always having to go back and bring them back to him. I mean, in the book of Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain to hear a word from God and he's gone long enough that literally, and this is Andy's silliness, paraphrasing again here, they're like standing around because he's gone long enough and they just go like, I guess we're gonna have to come up with some new gods 
because Moses has been gone for a really long time. So can you all wrangle up? Let's get our gold together. Let's get our gold together. We'll melt that down. And that'll be some new gods because they've just been gone for a while. We're going to have to go ahead and get these other gods built up. They just forget that God has delivered them and liberated them from slavery, has promised to bring them into a new land, and is providing for them the whole time. You look back in Deuteronomy, and I'm telling you guys, there's like 80 times in the book of Deuteronomy where the phrase is, remember, remember this, don't forget this, remember his promises, remember this. It's not like 80 times, but it's a lot of times. If you go back and like, test me on it, you can go back. But get the, get the translation I was looking at that said it all that. But there's a ton of times in the Old Testament where there are so many reminders to hold tight to God's promises. And then you jump to the New Testament and you look at letters from Paul to these new churches and these new believers. And there are these beautiful snapshots of him talking to the young church and young Christians. And amongst all the encouragement and all the ways he even is reprimanding them sometimes, what he's doing most of the time is he's encouraging them to not forget the truths of the salvation that they've come to. He's writing to them consistently to remind them, remember the salvation to which you have come. Remember who it is that bought this for you. Remember the faith that you've come to because as they've started to slide away one direction or another, he's calling them to come back and remember. Even in our services, we, do, we have elements within our service that call us to remember our call to worship like Jake just did earlier. The point is that we come in here and we remember why we're gathering. We remember that it's God that has called us in to this fellowship, to this relationship with him. We have to be reminded of these things. The songs we sing, we're gonna sing a song at, at communion called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And it's the exact same thing. It's a means of remembering. We sing songs to worship God, but as we sing the words, we're reminding ourselves of the truth that's within them. Here's a section from that song. It says, to this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I know Alan loves that song. We talked about that song before. Uh, but we're gonna sing these words because they're true and we need to remember them. You know, in our deepest times of sorrow and despair, it's easy to forget that Jesus already has a victory won for us. So we have to look back at these words. We sing these words so we can remember in those times that there's already been a victory won in Jesus and we'll see the other side of it. And why do we be, need to be reminded? Well, I wouldn't say it's as simple all the times as we, as we just literally and purely forget. Like, I don't think we have spiritual amnesia that legitimately Thursday at 2 p.m. when you like popped off to that other driver that cut you off, that you actually forgot that Jesus is king and he rules and reigns and is your Lord and Savior. No, I don't think that's the case. I say we need to be reminded of God's promises his provisions, and the holy and righteous ways call us to live because we tend to fall into the trap of misplacing our trust and security in our own strength. And so we get caught up thinking that we simply just don't need the wisdom and guidance that comes through God through his Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? So our, our first point, our call to action was remember who you represent 
And so now I want us to take a look that we should trust that his way of good. So if we're remembering who our lives are a testament to, we have to trust that his way is good for us. So let's continue. We'll read the rest of our passage here, starting in verse five. Verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. So out of, out of so many things that can plague us humans, all the ways we can find ourselves deficient and lacking in how we measure up to true holiness and righteousness of God, I think the trap and the temptation into self-reliance and ultimately the pride that comes from that is one of the worst versions and it's definitely one of the sneakiest versions that can plague us as we walk the Christian walk, as we walk a life of faith. And it's, it's sneaky because you don't really have to do anything to fall into it. To fall into that trap, you just kind of, you kind of do whatever you want and then you take the credit for things when it seems to go right. That's really all you have to do. You don't, you don't even realize when it's happening. You just do stuff and it seems great and you think you're awesome and that's that. And, and that might sound a little oversimplified and you may think to yourself, okay, Andy, what's the problem with, with believing in yourself? I'd say there's, there's nothing wrong with believing in yourself. There's nothing wrong with great self-esteem. There's nothing with confidence and understanding your worth and value and dignity as being a creation of God. That's all a beautiful thing and a gift from God. But the problem is when we take those things and we twist it and we say, well, since I believe all these great things about myself and what I can do and what I know, I now trust myself more than the almighty God of all creation. And I'm going to take the path that I choose because I'm a pretty savvy person. That's when we can fall into the trouble. It's not that we believe in ourselves or, or have the gumption in our life to, to go on and make something of ourselves and go a certain way. The problem is when we see that as our ultimate sense of truth. And when it, we hit a time like that, I think that's where it really makes sense for us to look at verse eight and then backtrack up to verse five and come back down. So you go to verse eight and it says, this will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. And so now at this point, I like to imagine if you were having a conversation between you, like the purest version of you and the version of you that really wants to rely on yourself and do your own thing, but you do it in like taking yourself through five through eight. And so you're like, Wait, what's going to be healing and strengthening for me? Well, trusting in the Lord and not relying on yourself and the things that you think you know. Why should I do that? Well, you see, if you know the Lord, then he'll set you in the right direction and make your path straight. Wait, what do you mean my path's not straight? See, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you think you're wise in your own eyes, but you really need to hold tight to the truths of the Lord and turn away from evil. And so yourself that relies on itself is left with like, oh, so you're saying I'm, I'm not as healthy 
or as spiritually strong as I think I am, but I don't realize it because I think I'm pretty smart, but actually I'm headed down a wrong path and I need someone to heal me and guide me. And boom, that's Christianity essentially. Is yeah, you, you don't realize that you're going down a wrong path. You think you know the way, but you do not actually know the way. You need someone to save you, make you whole and guide you. That's it. That's what five through eight is doing right there. It just flips it in eight being, this is gonna be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. And guys, we have to be reminded of this because it's so easy to start resting on our own perceived wisdom and on our own experiences that we just lose sight of the truth of our salvation. And this passage is a reminder to us that if we just simply raise our hands up and we open our fists and we lay down our pride, well, God is gonna be faithful to set our path straight. He's gonna bring healing. He's gonna bring strength to us and our bodies. He's gonna bring it spiritually. We have to trust that his way is good. We're gonna wanna lean on our own understanding. It's gonna be so easy to just go the way that you think is right in your life. But we have to remember that once we let go of self-reliance and we trust that God will lead us forward, it's gonna make it easier after doing that to trust him in every other aspect of our life. Because if we understand that what we think is good might not always be good, and laying things down before the Lord in acts of submission and worship will have us in a much better spot so that when we read verse nine and it says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest, we've got no problem with it. See, if you've moved past the point where you think you've got it all going on and you have the answers, you can also wrap your head and your heart for that matter around the fact that if you hand everything over to God, you understand that these teachings and wisdom are gifts to you from God, then you also understand that your finances and your money and all your other earthly belongings, well, they were all gifts from him too. And then it says in verse 10, that when you do that, your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. And, and that's a verse that we don't really use those terms right now. If you had a friend that you literally said the words, your vats are overflowing with wine. There would probably be a subsequent conversation that was about a problem that they have. So we don't speak in this way, but when we look at a passage like this, what it's trying to tell us is that we're gonna have everything we need. Just like the Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When your trust is placed wholly and fully in the Lord, you're able to hand all things to him, both in yourself and outside of yourself, and you're going to have everything you need at that point. You don't have to be fulfilled by going out and seeking everything else, and you can fully give as openly and generously as you can to the Lord. Let's read our last verses here. Verse 11 says, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. <clears throat> so if we trusted that his way is good, his instruction is good, we trust that we can hand things all to him, everything we have, we honor him with our possessions, then we also have to trust his correction and his discipline. We have to submit ourselves 
as the ones who will, from time to time, need fine-tuning and correction. Discipline and correction from a father can be a really tricky subject, right? Depending on how you grew up, uh, you might come to these verses uh, with a lot of positivity, or you might come to these verses with not a lot of positivity when you think about the male figures in your life. We've all got a different family story, and so for as many of us who have really, who had like even just generally good to pretty good experiences with fathers or father figures in our lives, there are just as many of us that could probably tell some horror stories about growing up in the families we grew up in, uh, or you just didn't even have that kind of a figure in your life. No matter what the case is, no matter what the situation that you come from familially, let me assure you that our God and Father in heaven is good. That's the thing you need to understand more than anything, that whatever version you have in your mind and in your heart about what correction, discipline looking like from a father, that our God in heaven is good. He's goodness that you can't imagine. He's love that it's so difficult to comprehend the vastness of it. And this discipline that it talks about, it flows from that goodness and love. The Bible speaks to this general idea elsewhere. I really think that John chapter 15, when Jesus is telling his followers that he's the vine and that we're the branches, I've preached on this before, and that God, the Father, is the gardener, he tells them that the Father prunes those branches that bear fruit so that they can remain healthy and produce even more fruit. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's really difficult for us to know what circumstances in our life, the equation of this is happening in my life, is this discipline or correction from God? It's really tough for us to see those things. We don't have a magical gauge that can tell us that. We don't have uh, some sort of like old school pop-up video thing that pops up and says, what's happening right now is discipline from the Lord. Understand it's good. But here's the whole point, is that when it does come, it's good and it's from a place of love and of grace and of care. And you can know that it is good for you because he prunes those who are bearing fruit so they can bear even more. And he disciplines those that he loves. It's how you can know that you are his. Whether it's a struggle in your life, whether it's a temptation you are facing and overcoming, whether it is your faith being tested, whatever comes your way, know that you can overcome it and know that if it is a discipline or a test from the Lord, that it is good. It is for your good because he is a father that loves you, just like verse 12 says. He disciplines the one he loves just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. So I wanna finish up here in just a moment. I wanna, I wanna tell you guys a story uh, that I hope kind of sums up the whole idea here. So if you think about it again, the, the picture I'm trying to paint is that in living a life of godly wisdom, living a life and taking the principles of God, taking the principles that, is, that are in our Bible and walking forward in life with those and living that life that is pleasing to God, if you're doing that, you're representing his name and that as you do that, you trust that his way is good, you walk forward in that. Here's an illustration I hope brings that into light. So I'll take a moment and set the stage for you. 
I'm probably like 13 years old, give or take. Uh, I get the time, I get the timeline kind of messed up between like 12 and 16. I don't know why, but it's somewhere in there. Uh, it's smack in the middle of summer break from school, and my little brother Boov and I, uh, we're, we're sweating our butts off in a backyard somewhere in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where I grew up. See, during my teenage years, my dad, Tim, uh, he chose to work for himself, and he started his own home remodeling business. Um, and, you know, I remember at one point, I can't, my mom would tell, my mom's here tonight. Hi, mom. Uh, she'd be able to tell me this. She'd be like, why did you forget this? I think at one point he wanted to call it New Creation Concepts, but I can't remember if he ever named it that. It was a good name if he did, but I can't remember if that's what he landed on. I feel like I can, like, remember the business card with New Creation Concepts. Back in the day where we got, like, you guys remember uh, Corel Draw on, like, your first computer, like, Windows 95, he was like, I can make my business cards on this. And I remember him printing out business cards and I was like, we can do anything. Look at this business card. I had like a little dude with a construction hat like, like that. And I was like, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as graphics. Like we printed out our own business cards. We did it. It's a side note. Uh, but we're there in the backyard and we're helping dad build a deck on the back of someone's house. I, and look, when I say dad worked for himself, I mean literally he started a company and it wasn't like he didn't have some like growing conglomerate that he was going to, it was my dad working for himself and then his 14-year-old and 11-year-old helping him out during the summers. That was the business. It wasn't like, yeah, dad had like 25 guys working under him at one point. He sold off the business. It was dad and us when we could help. Um, and I'm kind of ashamed to say it now, but at the time, I really did not like doing that. I wish I had listened so much more in those formative years and I'd be some incredible handyman right now. I've had to learn through trial and error like a Sarah and I have been married and like, hey, that pipe burst and you just paid a guy $400 to fix it. You better learn how to do that stuff so you don't have to pay $400 every time that happens. But it was no, <clears throat> excuse me, it was no fun for me at the time. It was hot. I'm like 13 or 14. So like, Every boy who's 13 or 14 is just like not into anything that's going on. He just wants to like, I just wanted to go play basketball or video games. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing with building a dang deck. We have to beg dad to take a lunch break. My dad was the kind of guy that like, I think I've just always loved food so much. We'd like pack this little igloo cooler. We'd have our turkey sandwiches. We'd have our water bottles. And it hit like one o'clock and I'm thinking, like dad is giving no sense of like, all right guys, give it about 10 more minutes and we'll take a break. I'm just like, we're gonna die out here because dad's never gonna take a drink of water. Um, so I really hated it. I hate using the word hate, but I'd never looked forward to going out and helping him on the job. So we're working on the deck and we're at a point where it's probably like the seventh time that I have either messed something up on the deck or I just haven't done something the right way. And dad, dad wasn't a great explainer of things beforehand. He'd never be like, all right, here's a 15-minute explanation of how much you do this whole section and you're set on a good thing. It'd be like, do this. I'd get three steps into it and then be like, he'd, or he'd come over and be like, why would you do that? I'd be like, because I'm 14, I don't know what I'm doing on this deck. I have no idea. And then he'd be like, oh, do it this way. I'd be like, Dad, I have no concept of what it means to do carpentry. So it's probably like the seventh time I was doing something wrong. And I think I remember in my infinite subject matter expertise as a young teenager in woodworking and building a deck, after being <laughs> reprimanded 
for the umpteenth time, I remember just saying something like, well, dad, why can't we just, like, can't I just do it this way? Because whatever I was doing, I, rem- I can remember thinking this, that, well, won't it accomplish the same thing if I do da-da-da-da-da? And I say that to dad, and he stops for a second. I can remember this so clearly, even though I have such a hazy memory of all those times. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and his tone changed a little bit, and he wasn't mean, but he was firm. He still had a soft voice. And he just said, no, Andy, we can't do it that way because we're putting our name on it. And that was it. And truth be told, in that moment, I legitimately did not understand what he meant. I like remember when my dad said, we're putting our name on it, that I was like, I don't, like, I don't get it. I wasn't gonna tell him I didn't get what that meant because it felt like a thing I needed to just like hear and stop. Uh, but I heard it and I was like, I don't know what that means, but it's so clear to me now, of course. And as you guys hear that, that what my dad was saying is, look, we're building this deck. We're the ones that are doing it. It's gonna exist in this backyard for a long time. People are gonna see it and our family name and our reputation are tied to the quality of how we do this. So in that moment, what I needed to realize is that it wasn't really about the deck. It was about actions representing a name and a family, our dad. And if I would trust the way that he taught me was right and good, I'd be doing well in how I was representing our name and I'd be doing well on the side of others if I trusted that. So I remember that and I took that moment to heart and that sounds really cliche, but it really is one of the few circumstances I can remember of those words of wisdom from my dad. And I've carried it with me and I honestly do think about it. Every time I'm doing things, or somebody else is depending on me, could be little or big, I really do think about my dad saying, you can't do it that way because we're putting our name on it. So I hold tight to that and I, and I try to bring honor to our family and I know it'll be good for me. And now, of course, all that's a big illustration to paint a picture of how we should hold true to the word of God to bring him honor as we bear that family name. And you know, I gotta say, you, you all that know I'm a big music guy. When I was thinking about fathers and love and doing what father's saying stuff, I was trying to think of a great illustration that I could use with George Strait's A Love Without End Amen, and I just couldn't get it to work. And I just couldn't get it, but boy, I was close. So just know you can go home tonight, listen to George Strait, A Love Without End Amen, shed a tear for me, because boy, it's one that'll get you feeling sappy. Um, but in all seriousness, the only way any of this is applicable The only way that anything we're talking about here is applicable to living in a way honorable to the family name of God and trusting in his way and knowing that you're representing him amongst others is that if you're part of this family, you see, living a principled, clean, pseudo-moral life, it's, it's a fine and a commendable thing in the general context of all of life But even with that, just as we said earlier, that's still just you living in a manner to where you think the way you're going and the ways you're choosing are the right way. You may naturally be inclined as a person with a mild demeanor and a really strong intellect and you've got a lot of can-do spirit and you know what, that might serve you well in life and you just might not find yourself getting into too many tricky situations and that's great. You know what I would say to that? I would say you've been given a leg up with some of those blessings God has given you. 
And so if you're not a Christian, the point now would be to acknowledge the giver of those gifts. There has to be a realization that God is the source of life from which all of that comes. And we see in the Bible that apart from him, our perceived righteousness, what we think is good a lot of times in our sight, it's even polluted because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a way, and that way is Jesus. To be a part of the family of God, to with confidence be able to call God your father, you simply acknowledge that your ways and actions are not right, you lay them down, and then you accept the work and the free grace that has come from what Jesus has done on the cross to pay for those sins. And when you do that, you're in the family. And here's a really beautiful picture of what I think that family looks like. I think this is a beautiful passage that it's not particularly trying to say like, if you look in your Bible, the heading isn't, here's what the family of God looks like, but I think it's a great picture of that. It's Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think that's a pretty sweet picture of what it means to be in a good family, the family of God. That's the name that we represent as Christians so might we all have that as our prayer tonight, that, that at the end of our days, whether that ends up being a very short time from now or a very long time from now, that we stand before our Father in heaven and we can have lived a life that was a blessing to others, that it was a testament to the goodness of the family of God, and that it was glorifying to the name of Jesus. Let's pray together.